You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. In Jesus, we come to you, the risen one, the living stone, the Son of God, who came to this earth and gave of himself so ultimately, so freely, the Messiah, the long-awaited King, we worship you. And we're so thankful that we can worship and we can praise a God who is alive, a God who has conquered death, and a God who walks with us through this life. And even today, whatever it is that we're facing, you are there, you are with us, you are near to the brokenhearted, You are with us in our anxiety, in the uncertainty. We look at a world that is so broken, a world that is literally just falling apart at the seams, and yet, God, uh, we see it is broken, and we see that only you can bring hope and peace to the human life, and you uh, are are just showing us in, in so many ways that we cannot build our hopes on the things of this world because it can all be gone. And God, we just pray for our world. We pray for the United States and the rioting and the various things taking place there. We pray for our own nation as we look at it slowly reopening. Oh God, there are so many factors to all of this and frustration and, and fears. Would we come to you, God? And would we know that you are there, you have chosen, you are walking with us, you care for us. And would you meet us here today as we get into your word? Would your word give hope? Would your word sustain us and strengthen us, we pray. And wherever you are today, all God's people said, amen, amen. I want you to get your Bibles out and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1. We're starting this series. We started it last week. Our living hope. Who is our living hope? It's Jesus. And thank you, band, again for leading us and rehearsing and practicing and going through all of the different, uh, just different variables these days. Just so thankful for the production team as well as the team that leads us in worship week after week. So 1 Peter chapter 1. Get your Bibles. Open them up. You need to see these verses. I'm going to tell you to underline things in the Word of God. If you do not have a Bible and you live in the central Okanagan, please, please, please uh, just let us know. Fill out a connection card. We would love to know that uh, we would love to be able to supply you with a Bible. And um, if, if I would just be able to see my screen, that would be uh, really helpful um, at this point so I could kind of see what is going on. That would be really good. So First Peter chapter 1. We will be looking at that in just a moment. And I'll just let the technical things happen. Maybe you're already seeing the screen. I am not yet quite seeing it. So uh, we'll get to that in a moment, I'm sure. All right, so um, so let, let's get started here. I'm going to start with just a little bit of a story here. I enjoy going for bike rides on, on the trails behind our house. And, and, and here are just some of the beautiful scenery of just, just in the last week, some of the pictures that I've been uh, able to take. It's just so beautiful up there. Just, just, you see some of the wildlife just uh, as we scroll through these pictures. Look at this. This was a moose. I saw a, a cow moose and um, its calf, a 
couple weeks ago, and just so much to see. It's just so beautiful up there. And, and, and so uh, this picture here, we're just going to stall on this one for a moment because this, this was one evening this past week, and I was out riding, and, and, and I stopped to snap a few pictures. And as I was snapping actually this picture, and I was sending a text message, I think, to my brother in Saskatchewan, just letting him know what kind of bike trails I get to go biking on here in this area, I noticed off in the distance, and you can't see it right now, so we're going to zoom in. There you go. You're, you're going to see there's a guy, and, and maybe it's even hard to see. Uh, no, just stay there. Um, that's great. You see this guy. He's actually walking in this muddy bog with his bike, kind of dragging it and carrying his bike, and he's coming towards me, and I'm thinking, does this guy not realize that just on the left-hand side over there, there's actually a trail that he could be going on? Like, I don't know why in the world that he is going across this. He's getting himself all muddy, and it's just a mess in there, but he was coming right towards me. And as he came closer to me, he came to warn me, and, and he said, I'm so glad that you stopped. He said, just around the corner, now if we zoom back out, just around the corner on the left-hand side, he said, there's a good-sized brown bear. And, uh, and, and I just wanted to warn you that a da- of, of the danger that exists there. And, uh, and I was just like, wow, thank you. Thank you for getting yourself all muddy and messed up and, and that, and your bike is a mess, but thank you for doing it. He said, I just wanted you to be safe, and I was so thankful thankful. You know, that kind of is a great example as we segue into 1 Peter. The Apostle Peter wrote this letter to warn Christians that there was trouble around the corner, that there was trouble coming for them, and that they better get ready. And, and as he is writing this, it wasn't just to warn them, it was to strengthen them, to prepare them. And as he prepares them, he, he, he's writing to them, and he's not giving them some nice little uh, platitudes or, or some sort of self-help or human wisdom or some little feel-good pep talks. That's not what he's doing. But rather, what he's doing in writing First Peter, he's offering hope hope that is rooted in truth. And, and even we're going to see today, hope that is rooted in deep doctrinal important truths that we need to know and we need to hold on to and cling to because it gives us not only hope, but it gives us a firm and a solid foundation. Now, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 1 in verse 1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I encourage you to underline the word apostle where it says that. An apostle of Jesus Christ, underline that word. Because oftentimes, we'll just breeze over the introduction to a book. We want to get to the good stuff. Well, this is the good stuff, because you're going to see some really neat things here from God's word. Oftentimes, as we breeze over it, we, we, we skip the introduction and, and, and uh, get, get to the other information. But you see, what Peter is saying here when he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he is declaring that he is writing, not just as Peter, he is writing with apostolic authority, that these are not just his words or his thoughts, that he is writing the very words of God. And he's writing words to encourage, to build up, to correct, to remind, to warn, to instruct, and to teach God's people. Peter wrote then in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, he said, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter here is wanting his audience to know, I'm not making this stuff up. The things that I'm writing, you, writing to you here is as an apostle, and I've been inspired, he writes then later, I've been inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write this. 
And, and, and he is wanting his audience to know, and you need to know, that when we open God's word, it is God's word for you. St. Augustine said this, the Bible is a volume of letters from the heavenly country. Isn't that great? The Bible, the word of God, it is a volume of letters from the heavenly country. It is from God himself. You see, Folks, here at Hope Church, we believe firmly that when God's word is read, when God's word is spoken, when God's word is proclaimed, when we read God's word, not my words, but when we read God's word, we are hearing the voice of God. The voice of God is being heard. And so this is why we read, we listen We take heed, we learn, we embrace, we memorize, we get to know the truths of God's word because it is God speaking to us. And so 1 Peter here is just another interesting fact for you that 1 Peter is probably throughout the centuries is one of the single greatest books of the Bible that God's people will turn to next to the Psalms when they are suffering, when they are confused, in order to receive instruction, instruction, encouragement, and help. And so let's continue here. This is why it's coming to us with apostolic authority. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, first one. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And here we have this map of Asia Minor. This is in modern-day Turkey. Those, those great names I just read are circled in red. And uh, and. and Off to the left, you'll see Rome. Now, it is believed that Peter was writing this letter from Rome in approximately AD 64. He was writing to Christians who had already been dispersed or scattered prior to this time. But now he's warning them of something new. He's warning them of the next wave of persecution that was coming. The persecution was already starting in Rome, and it would slowly work across the entire Roman Empire. And this persecution was at the hand or the command of Nero, the emperor. He was an evil tyrant. He was a terrible man. I'm not going to take time to describe the brutality in what he did to Christians. It was awful how he tortured them. But according to church history, it is also believed that Peter, the apostle, was crucified upside down, and the apostle Paul was crucified in just a number of years. He wasn't crucified, he was beheaded, both of them a number of years after Peter would have written this. And both of these deaths came at the command of the emperor Nero. He was a terrible man. And so Peter is writing to these churches. He's writing to these Christians and preparing, and he's reminding them that even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of hostility, even in the midst of fear, and remember the Word of God is a timeless book, so it wasn't just for them. This is also for us. And so even for you today, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of difficulty and fear, in hostility, whatever it is that you are facing, we have a living hope, a living hope, an anchor for our souls that is found in God through Jesus Christ. Notice he says then in verse one also, he says, elect exiles. The word exiles is really important. The word exiles means a temporary resident, a stranger, or someone living in a foreign place. That is us as Christians today. Because this world is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. 
We are temporary foreign workers living in Canada. And, and we are living here, but this isn't where our citizenship is. If you are in Christ, our citizenship, our passport, is stamped with heaven. In a world all around us where we are living these days in unprecedented days of this pandemic, the economic meltdowns, the instability, the insanity, even what we've seen this past week in the United States and in particular in in Minnesota with the riots and, and the chaos going on there, it all clarifies, folks, once again, we have to get over it. This world is not our home. Our, this world is broken. And that God has something in store, in plan. This, this world has been ruined by sin. And it will continue to spy, spiral in the way that we have seen. I like this quote from Spurgeon on the screen. I encourage you to write this down. Hold everything earthly with a loose hand, but grasp eternal things with a death-like grip. Isn't that good? Now, when it comes to Christianity in North America, for the most part, over the last century, century and a half, ever since um, Christopher Columbus, I guess that was more than a, a century, a few centuries ago, sailed across the ocean blue. In North America, Christianity has been either accepted, actually even part of our foundation, even here in Canada, and or it's been tolerated. But the winds of change are coming. The winds of change are upon us as believers in Christ here in North America. For a person today, not just for a pastor, but even for any believer in Christ who is serious about their faith and standing firm, to speak, to share, to promote, to preach, to teach, to counsel biblical truths is becoming very unpopular, even becoming illegal or even considered hate speech. This week, as perhaps you've been following in the news, the Calgary City Council voted unanimously to ban conversion therapy in the city of Calgary. And yes, there have been the abusive forms of therapy that have been used to treat people Um, to try to correct them in different ways, and and we don't endorse that. But we do endorse what God's word has to say and the hope and the help that there is through Jesus Christ. And I was talking to one of our network pastors from Calgary this past week, and he said the group that is behind this motion that just was passed, he said, are sharpening their teeth to go after pastors and churches and Christian counselors, biblical counselors who teach and preach and counsel people in God's word in in regards to what God's word has to say when it comes to gender identity, when it comes to homosexuality, when it comes to gay marriage, etc. And there's pressure for every one of us. There's a pressure that we all face as genuine believers in Christ we will be rejected. We will be laughed at when we do not conform to the patterns of this world. And we will be tempted. And some of you are being tempted even right now to live, to act, to spend your money, to play like the world in order to be cool, to fit in. And not saying that all of this is bad, but when we are compromising and going against God's word and God's standard, that is a problem. 
we are to live and work and conduct our business differently, uprightly, with integrity, with, with, with a holiness and a purity that we're pursuing. Yet if we do, we're going to run the risk of being ostracized, alienated, laughed at. We try to fit in so much at times to look like the world, to sound like the world, to be like the world. And Peter is telling us, we are exiles. We are, this is not our home. Peter doesn't want us just to kind of just hold on until heaven, though. He wants us to thrive. He wants us to stand firm. And so today, as exiles, as strangers, we're going to see three truths from, from just the first two verses here, and really verse two, that we must be rooted in as we face troubled times. Encourage you to be writing these down. We're going to look at three truths that we must all be rooted in as followers of Christ, as we face troubling times. And, and we're going to see this mainly, as I said, in verse 2. Let's, let's read in verse 2, follow along. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now here's the first truth. Write this down. This is important. These are important truths you need to be reminding yourself of. These are, are, are three truths that we need to hold on to. And the first one, we are chosen, known, and loved by God. Look at, look at that word in, in verse 2 where it says foreknowledge. But, but if we were just back up to, to the word elect in verse 1, the word elect in verse 1 is linked to that word foreknowledge in verse 2. Right out of the gates, Peter speaks of some deep, beautiful doctrine doctrinal truths of the Christian life. He's speaking about election or predestination. Those are the fancy names given to it. This is the belief, this is the understanding that we see from God's word that God has chosen us. He has chosen us, he has chosen you to be a believer in Christ if you are in Christ. He has set his affection upon you, that he chose us to become saved, to be his children. We did not choose him ultimately, he chose us. We may think, oh, I chose God, I surrendered, that night I finally broke down and I said yes to him. Uh-uh, no way, that did not happen. He chose you and we can prove it. I'll prove it to you. Not, not myself, but I'll prove it to you from the Word of God. Just listen to these verses. Peter then writes, and, and these references are here. Write them down, look them up, underline it, and see that I'm right. We'll see that God's Word is right. 1 Peter 2, 9, for you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous life. You are a chosen race. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.4, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And you say, well, that's Peter, that's the Apostle Paul saying that. Well, here's what Jesus had to say. Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 44, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. It is God the Father drawing people to himself. In John 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, Jesus told his disciples, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. You see, it is God who even gives us the desire 
to even call out his name. And God's choice is related to his foreknowledge. Now, now some think that this word foreknowledge is, is foreseen, that, that God saw who would choose him because he's all-knowing, he's omniscient, and, and so he knew who would choose him, and so he chose them. But no, that word foreknowledge that you see there in verse 2 means to know. And, and, and that word in the Greek means an affectionate acquaintance. Just like Adam and Eve knew one another in a deep, intimate, loving knowledge, that is the way that God knows us. In fact, just to make sure that we couldn't or wouldn't take credit for our own salvation, for us coming to God thinking we performed well, or, or, or maybe you know, sometimes, and, and I think sadly this can, can happen, hope nobody watching, but it easily can, is that we can think, I'm so awesome. God had no choice but to draft me onto his team, into his family. It's not the case at all whatsoever because God's word tells us in Ephesians 1, 4, listen to this, that God chose us. God chose you before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. It's all according to God's plan. Now, in the midst of this great doctrine, there's a great debate that it has been going on for, for centuries. And, and it is a debate between election uh, or predestination and free will and human responsibility. Yes, we must respond to the gospel call. Yes, we must share the gospel faithfully and always with others. And yes, there are aspects to this doctrine that are so confusing, that are filled, it is filled with mystery, it can make your brain hurt trying to figure it out. Election and free will can at times appear to be very contradictory, but in fact, they're good friends. They're, they're complementary to one another. And yet we're not gonna fully understand or comprehend these doctrines, we're not going to understand all of this fully until heaven. You see, whenever you have a finite person, you and me, in a relationship with an infinite, being God, you better get used to mystery. Because the finite, finite will never fully understand the infinite. And there are certain truths we will never fully understand or comprehend this side of heaven. This is where mystery and faith are a part of the Christian life. I heard this great quote this week, a God so small to understand is not big enough to worship. Isn't that good? A God so small, a God small enough to understand is not big enough to worship. God is worthy of our worship, but there is that mystery and that faith that we put in our great God. And Peter wants us to know that before the world was even created, before we were born, God's fatherly love was placed on his very own. Now maybe you're sitting here and you're, you're thinking wherever you're watching this and, 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 and saying to yourself, well, what about me? Is he calling me? Am I chosen? I hope so. I want to be called. I, I, I hope I'm his. I, 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 I'd like to be his. Maybe you're not yet. Maybe you've never committed your, your life to Christ. I, I hope I'm in the chosen. Well, if that's the case and if that's your heart, 
then he's calling you because he's given you the desire to want to be his child. He's given you a real, true desire. And if you have that real, as I say, real, true desire to be a child of God's, he's calling you. And I'm not talking about that emotional, loosey-goosey kind of like, well, I'll give Christianity a try. Oh, Alex, I'll take Christianity for a thousand, please, and give it a try. It's like the game of Jeopardy. No, it's not like that. It's when we humble ourselves before God, turning and repenting of our sin and trusting in Jesus Christ as our only hope, not just as an option out there, but as our only hope, we are saved. And people who don't want to respond to him, they won't respond to him. I've had people tell me, I don't want to be with God. Sad, but true. And so Peter, right out of the gates here, in verse, verse 2, he wants us to know as elect exiles that before the creation of the world, God chose you. God chose me. He is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will, no one will snatch you out of his hand. He will finish what he has started. The second truth that we must cling to, the second truth we must understand is that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a new life. As we continue in verse 11, it says, in the sanctification of the Spirit. That word, you're like, sancta what? What is this about? You see, we are being sanctified or transformed by the Holy Spirit. Sanctification is, the, is a present, active work of God in the life of the believer. When we respond to the gospel call and we confess, we repent, we turn from our sins, we turn from our ways, we turn from our agenda and surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, declaring him to be our Lord and our Savior. In that moment, in that very moment, we are justified. The gavel sounds, and we are set free from the bondage of sin. We are forgiven. This justification is applied to our account, and Christ's righteousness is put upon us and we are looked upon as being righteous and declared innocent and free from our sins. That is justification. And at that very moment, justification is a one-time event, but sanctification begins at that moment as well, but continues on throughout our lives. In that moment that we are justified, we are also starting the process of sanctification. Sanctification is positional, meaning it has a starting point, but it's progressive. It will go until the end of our life here on earth. It is a san sanctification is a process where we are being set free. We are being freed from the power of sin progressively, slowly sometimes, right? Where we are becoming more and more like Jesus. You see, the Christian life isn't just about praying a prayer, maybe even getting baptized, and then you go to church and, and, and then you give some money and you, know, and, and you try to live a little bit better of a life. You know, it's, it's the right thing to do. And then, cross my fingers, go to heaven when we die. That's not what the Christian life is. It's all about God, the Holy Spirit, coming into our lives and changing and transforming and empowering us to live a new life. He's changing us and he's growing us. And if you are truly saved, you will be sanctified. Listen to this quote from Steve Lawson, just read it today. He says, if you claim to follow Christ and your life has not been changed, you have not met Christ. That's sobering. 
very sobering. You see, when God awakens a dead heart, a heart it takes a heart of stone, and he takes this dead stone-like heart and makes it alive, he makes it alive forevermore. And you see, Christianity is just not a crutch for weak people. It is a defibrillator that brings people to life. There is a new heart. And, and with that new heart, there's new desires. Your desires change. There's a hunger for the Word of God. We're no longer living for ourselves, but we're desiring to live for God and for His glory. Yes, there will be rough days. There will be rough seasons. There will be rough years. There's times we're going to get distracted by the things of this world. There's times we're not going to be on fire for God in the way that we ought to be. But if those bad days go into months, that go into years, that go into decades, that's concerning. If there's no remorse or repentance over sin, or there's no struggle or trouble with our lukewarmness, no desire or growth for holiness, for God's word, for being with God's people, for, for disciplining ourselves in godliness, for growing in generosity, that's concerning. And that's why even the, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he said, examine yourselves to see that whether or not you are in the faith. Folks, we're not talking about legalism. We're not trying, talking about trying to prove ourselves in Christianity it's because we are so loved that we love to serve Jesus. We love to worship Him. We love to, to grow, to please Him in, in, in how we live our lives. Now, now, take a look at this picture. It's from our backyard. This picture is from a willow tree. And, and notice those nice little shoots that are growing, the nice little new growth, the new life that's going on. Let's go to the next picture. That's where it's growing from. This is actually a stump that Charlotte and I saw on a walk a, a couple of months ago. It was a few blocks away from our house, and, and uh, Charlotte said, you know, I could dig out, or Meldon, you could dig out the, the top of those stumps, and, and I could plant flowers or do something really nice with it. And so for the last few months, it's literally, literally been sitting on some rocks next to our house. But we noticed in the last few weeks those, let, let's just zoom in again, let's take a look at those, if you just go back one picture, yeah, just look at the, the new growth, look at the new life, and you're like, that's pretty cool. However, the whole thing about that is that that's life in that stump and those little shoots are not sustainable. You know, this reminds me of the parable of the soils and seeds in, in Matthew 13. Seeds that get planted in, in various soils, but only the ones planted in good soil are legit. They're the only ones that grow and, and become mature and fruitful. The others fall away. They were never rooted. They were never genuine. And that can be an example and a picture of lives of people who gather, well, I guess we're not gathering in churches today, but who gathered pre-pandemic in churches today, it can look like there's new life in us. It looks like we're legit, but maybe we're not truly rooted in Christ. And, and that is a way we need to be examining ourselves. Are we growing in Christ-likeness and holiness and purity? What do we need to repent of? Have we become comfortable with sin? The Holy Spirit works to convict us of sin, but then empowers us to live for Christ. 
And then thirdly, we see another truth that we must be rooted in. We can receive ongoing forgiveness and cleansing from Jesus. What a great truth this one is. In verse two, it continues, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Now, now, now this is just amazing. You see the whole trinity of God at work in our salvation. Look at those three points. We are known, chosen, loved by God the Father. We are indwelled, empowered, sanctified, transformed by God the Holy Spirit. And now we see number three here that we can receive ongoing forgiveness, that we can grow in obedience to Christ through the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ. What a blessing. How amazing is that? But here's something. You and I fail, don't we? We fail often. We go through tough days and tough seasons and habits or addictions. We battle sin and we lose. Sometimes it seems more often than we win. And like Peter, as we talked about last week, fell flat on his faces, we have done the same. But this term sprinkling that we see here in verse 2, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Hmm, this is kind of interesting. What does this sprinkling with his blood means? Well, this ties back to the Old Testament. There's three references in the Old Testament to sprinkling of blood. In Exodus 24, you see these references here. Write them down. You can read it later on. But here we have Moses reading the law of God to the people of Israel. And when they heard the law of God, they responded and said, we will obey, we will follow, we're in. And so Moses took an animal, and in a very stunning and a very shocking and very sobering way, that animal was sacrificed and his blood was drained out of him. As a stunning reminder that our sin is costly, that when we rebel against God, a life must be taken to cover and pay the price of our sins. And so Moses takes this blood and he sprinkles it on the altar of God and then he sprinkles it on the people. It was a sign of their commitment of God's covenant relationship with his very own. What a picture we have of God's mercy and the people's desire for obedience. And when we come to Jesus Christ and receive him as Lord and Savior and repent of our sins, we are covered, we are sprinkled with the blood of Christ and forgiven. In Exodus 29, we have the second account of the sprinkling of blood, and here we have Aaron and his sons. Aaron was the high priest of Israel, Moses' brother, and, and he, his sons are sprinkled with blood, and Aaron is sprinkled with blood as a sign that they are being set apart as priests, as God's holy representatives. Now, P Peter would end up writing in chapter 2, verse 9, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. This speaks about, and it goes on, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Because of Jesus, we are in Christ, and we are priests. This is the priesthood of believers. We are God's representatives. We have 24-7 access to God anytime. Before it was just the, the priests who had that access. They were the go-between between the people and between God. But now you and I, the priesthood of all believers, God makes us priests. And the third time that we see this is in Leviticus 14. When a leper had been healed had, and had recovered from his leprosy, the leper would then be brought before the priest and he would be sprinkled with blood. And he would be sprinkled with blood and he would be declared clean. And this would be a stunning reminder that we too can be cleansed. 
that we too can be healed from the sin that sickens and destroys our souls, our lives, our relationships. And this is all available through the precious blood of Christ that was poured out on the cross for all of us, to all who would receive him. And look how verse 2 ends. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. I'm going to ask the band to come and we're going to worship the Lord here together. And you see, when we have the Father, we have God the Father, we have God the Son, we have God the Holy Spirit working on our behalf, we have grace upon grace that is available. And when that grace is available to us, that grace is multiplied. And it's whatever you face, whatever the future holds, his grace and peace is available to us. This is the message of Peter. He's the author of this incredible book, Inspired by the Holy Spirit. He was the guy who was the colossal failure. And yet, he was restored over and over again. Do you need to be restored today? Do you need to surrender your life to Jesus today? This is a message as well for you and for me. Because like Peter, we fail. We can be colossal failures and we can look at our lives in that way. Or we can look at our lives as being restored and renewed and forgiven because we are so loved and we are chosen and we are anointed as his children. But oh, how we need the power of the Holy Spirit every day in our lives. And how we need the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And as Peter was restored, you too can be restored into a relationship once again with Jesus Christ, either for the first time or because it's been a long time. And then you were, were restored to usefulness in serving God and obeying and answering his call upon our lives. Let's worship him now.